0: Good evening and welcome to the first in-season edition of the JMU Sports Blog podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. What's up, Rob?
1: Nothing. How's everybody doing tonight?
0: Hopefully everyone is very excited getting ready uh, for the season to kick off this Saturday. Uh, We have, Rob and I have been through all kinds of craziness trying to get this podcast recorded, but we're going to hopefully have something good for you tonight. We know we have at least one good thing in the can. We're working on the rest of it. Uh, we are so excited to be back in season, Rob. Um, we've even, I saw you even oh, got God, on the site. I've even got like 10 paragraphs ready to be up on the site. And man, are we ready next week to talk, break down a game, and look forward to the season even more. Um, but welcome back, everybody. Wherever you get your podcast, rate and review the JMU Sports Blog podcast. Five point five stars for JMU S B. Uh don't forget, you can go by Pale Fire Room in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and mention the podcast and get a free pint glass. Uh, so big thanks to Pale Fire for being back on board this fall. We're still trying to work out what we're going to do with them, uh, but big thanks to them for being back. So glad to have our original sponsor back on board. Um, same thing goes for our newer sponsor, but our good friends over at Mossy Creek Fly Fishing there in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, go get ready. It's almost time to switch the types of fish and the types of trips. Uh, but still tons of good stuff coming in, in the fall. And it looks like their summer season is going to last most of the way through September. So get in there and visit Brian, and Colby, and the team and mention the podcast. You'll get a free Mossy Creek sticker. So we've, we've done everything we can here on the, the good stuff, Rob. And it is time to break it down and get into the real season. Um, I'm here in Minneapolis, Minnesota tonight. I have been bathed in the waters of the Minnesota State Fair and just upper Midwestern Americana all day um, have had all manner of horrendous food and beverage. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, that's not the one with the but, butter,
1: the butter. Cow. Is that Iowa? The state fair or is that Minnesota? What's one? Is that like the you, butter sculptures?
0: Yeah, no, I think, Iowa that's Iowa. That,
1: I think that's Iowa. Yeah, this, okay. has, oh,
0: well. this has art made out of different types of seeds. Um, which One of my coworkers mm. won a prize for today. So, Uh, Very interesting. We did a scavenger hunt at the state fair, um, complete with eating fried Oreos and um, some type of jalapeno cheese curd. But we did have a very good Minnesota beer. And in general, I actually... Nuclear Or is that Wisconsin? uh, Oh, I can't remember. um, Oh, I'm going to mess it up now. Uh, um, Surly. Surly. Oh, yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah I've had that at festivals. That,
0: that's good stuff. Yeah, so I'd really actually love
1: to get up to Minnesota. Minnesota, Wisconsin in the summer has always appealed to me. Not so much the winter, but in the summer, I think it'd be beautiful.
0: The insanity of the state fair was more than I ever imagined. Like the amount of permanent infrastructure at this thing, it's, it's incredible for a two-week <laughs> ordeal. But I had a great time. Um, almost got to see Alumni Association President Eric Bolin tonight, but we are recording instead so with that as we move on to the JMU stuff even though I could use an actual bathing in the waters of Lake Minnetonka um, <laughs> we'll move into the JMU stuff um, quick notes around the JMU world women's soccer first big win of the season came back to win in double overtime two to one over St. John's they are headed to Seattle and Washington State this week we will not see them for a couple of weeks big goals from Claire Miser and Ginger Deal there Men's soccer. In the end, too. Oh, that was, was like
1: 110th minute, wasn't it?
0: It was, 110th minute, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. I was following that online and it looked like it was not going to end in our favor, but they came through it in the <laughs> very, very winning minutes.
0: Yes. Um, men's soccer opens the season this weekend. They are headed down to the Sunshine State, where they will be playing um, Conference USA, no, not rivals, um, Conference USA teams, FAU and FIU. On Friday and Sunday, uh, the volleyball team opens up with a real serious tournament at home. Rob, I saw they have uh, Washington State, Iowa, and Stony Brook all coming into Godwin, all coming into Godwin this weekend. So, hmm, that's that's cool. kind of, yeah, that's kind of a cool opportunity there at JMU um, to see some big programs from Power Five conferences come to town. Uh, field hockey opens up at Bucknell on Friday, and they head to Liberty on Sunday. Uh, so they'll be around soon. A couple notes here. Um, we did uh, one uh, one good thing, one bad thing. One on the uh, beer front. Bridge Stadium announcing their beer choices this week, Rob. Bud Light, uh, Michelob Ultra, Coors Light, an IPA from 3 Notch, and I think a Bold Rock cider, but some kind of cider as well. Uh, I think our thoughts on that were they're doing them all in 16-ounce cans. I think we were pretty pleased that they are at least trying with the three-notched IPA to have something, um, you know, relatively Virginia-centric. Um, I like the 16-ounce can idea. Hopefully they have uh, I like that better than there, draft, but... I mean,
1: draft. Yeah, but like draft beers can be a real pain at a stadium, um, particularly real people pain. if you sit in front of somebody who's had maybe been overserved. served If you've one mm-hmm. dropped on you, it's not a pleasant experience. Oh, yeah. Cans are kind of the way to go. Uh, I've got no complaints. I, I think it's a great first step. We were probably more on the beer snobbery side of the spectrum, but there's a time and a place for just a nice cold beer, you know, a Miller Lite, Bud Light, whatever you like. If you, if you don't like either one of those, I mean, God help you. It's America. Just, just grab a cold one yeah. and have some fun. Three, not, three Notch is good. I mean, they make decent beers. I would have loved to have seen a Harrisonburg beer, but I don't know if it's like a scale issue or, or distributor. There's a whole lot that goes into this crap, but um, I don't well, know. I thought it was cool. With three nots, just, right? nice I did too.
0: And they have, you know, they're based in Charlottesville and Roanoke, but they do have a little tap room there in Harrisonburg and another one in Richmond. So, you know, certainly mm-hmm. Virginia-centric uh, beer, you know, good effort for the beginning. And no Natter Days, no Truly, so I'm okay with it. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm totally going for the of Right. And then there's one more piece of, of really, you know, kind of um, difficult news to process today. Rob, you want to talk to us about what's going on um, elsewhere in CAA football?
1: Well, We don't have a lot of info, but um, Sean McDonald, uh, the longest senior coach, as we mentioned, I think he's been at University of New Hampshire for like 21 years, coached in the playoffs for like 15 years, um, just a long-time presence in the CAA. It was announced last night that he needs to step away for some yet-to-be-disclosed medical reasons, so um, just a difficult situation. Uh, we really we're, we're thinking about him, we're thinking about everybody at UNH and praying for a speedy recovery. Hopefully, it's nothing major. I mean, ideally, it ends up being, you know, like a back issue or something. But the way it came out so sudden, um, it's hard not to go to like kind of a dark place and assume the worst. But we are certainly pulling for coach. He's just been an outstanding representative of the CIA, has been a terrific coach. They've got Ricky Santos stepping in. Ironically, a guy that we talked about a lot on the yeah. podcast last week is somebody who has the potential to really groom quarterbacks. Well, now he's got the potential to, to step up and really influence the whole team. I'm sure it's not the, oppor- the the type of opportunity or the reason to get this opportunity that he wanted, but he'll do a good job. Just really, it was it was quite shocking. We don't have a lot of info, but I really just hoping and praying that that coach recovers and deals with whatever he's got to deal with and is back on the sideline soon.
0: Yeah, I think that's all we have to say about that. And, um, you know, I've, I've got a friend's a former colleague's son who played for Coach McDonald up there, and uh, never had anything but good things to say. So. We wish him and the New Hampshire program well. Um, And with that, it's the season, Rob. Here we are. (laughs) We're going to do four downs headed into West Virginia. Usually we look forward with a couple downs and do four downs on the breakdown, but no breakdown games yet. Uh, Rob, what is the first thing you are really looking forward to about this weekend?
1: Um, I'm looking forward to really just getting back to football, like everybody said, but I Mm -hmm. don't know what to expect from this team. I was pretty excited about last Mm -hmm. year's team, but I know when we started breaking down the North Carolina State game last year, you and I were talking. We're like, "Man, next year is the year to be excited about." But there was just last year, there was for North Carolina State. I think there were ten new starters on defense, and we were like, "Okay, that's tough, but there's a tremendous opportunity in 2019 to bring back a lot of experience and, and guys that have the opportunity to really turn some heads and do some big things." Well, now we're here, Mm -hmm. and I do not know what to expect with the turnover in coaching and everything else that happened the way the season ended last year. I'm very optimistic, but I'm trying to maybe curb my expectations a little bit. Mm -hmm. That being said, one position that I'm very excited to see this weekend for multiple reasons is kind of the the defensive line unit. Um, I I think Mm -hmm. arguably that the front four are as good as we've had in a number of years, the first four. But I don't know if we've got the depth at this point based on what we've seen last year um, that maybe we've had in years past. That doesn't mean there aren't guys that, you know, the twos aren't going to be good. We just, it's guys that haven't played a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's a real big unknown for me. And I'm very excited. Um, a little preview of what we've got a guy from West Virginia from Smoking Musket who we're going to, we interviewed last night and he's going to be talking about the game. And we mentioned the defensive line being a critical piece. Often in these FBS games, you see the starters absolutely hold their own, if not outplay the the FBS teams. Mm -hmm. But then you just get down to like the fourth quarter and the depth really starts to to wear thin. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I've I've got full confidence in our starters, but I want to see how good or or what the ceiling is for maybe the second string for the guys that come in and just play maybe 15 plays in the second half. Um, Particularly, West Virginia's got a stable running backs. They've got a new quarterback. I don't know how much they're going to open the playbook this week or if they're really going to try to assist him and just run it down Jamie's throat. I think Jamie would be mm-hmm. more than up to the task for the first half, hopefully for the whole game. But there could be a couple of those plays where it's just we're gassed. And unlike an FBS team, Jamie can't bring in, you know, eight or nine defensive linemen to play throughout the game. It might be six or seven. So I'm just – I'm really curious to see this. I think we're going to see some head-turning plays. Um, but mm-hmm. then just what, what's there in the fourth quarter? Are they ready? Are there guys? And I'm also not going to overreact. I, I promise. I'm going to try not to. But um, it's like the second stringers, just to see guys get in there and take their lumps. This is a game you want to do that. You know, have guys get over that. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're going to make mistakes, make mistakes now. Uh, make mistakes the next two or three weeks. And then come see A play. Will they be there and really hit on L-Cylinder? So that, that unit is the one I'm most excited to see.
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah. I- for me, I that's that's a great point, Rob. I, I think I'm exactly the same way. I talking to I, I just did a return, and we did a home and home uh with Smoking Musket, and I just did the return uh recording with Matt, and I I thought he was really con- I could tell there is a there's a little you know, I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but I think West Virginia is a little they know um who Rondell Carter is and who John Daka is. And that these guys are legit, and that Rondell Carter, Landon Word, Wayne Davis are all FBS transfers. You know, um, there's a sense of you know, but I think especially that defensive line, he was intrigued, they're interested, and I'm. That's the unit I'm most excited about this season, and it's the union. I I don't know if I'd say concerned, but I think like you said, I just am. Uh, I want the four starters to get through this week. And I hope that the young players who come in behind them or guys learning the position, you know, aren't, that aren't, it isn't too big a challenge for them. So the defensive line. Yeah.
1: I, I got the sense yeah. from talking to Matt that he, the more knowledgeable West Virginia fans fully acknowledge that most of our ones can hold their own against huh. a lot of West Virginia, if not all West Virginia ones. It's just the difference. You get a little bit further down the depth chart and it's not that, the guys at JMU won't eventually develop. I mean, we've seen guys kind of come in as two and three stars and end up going to the NFL. Um, But just, are they going to be ready earlier in their career? And that's a situation we're looking at on Saturday. There's guys who are going to be getting kind of their first snaps in in a college football game. How are they going to adjust? Um, I'm confident they'll get there eventually, but it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to a pretty tough test and a pretty tough environment.
0: Yeah. And, It's funny, Rob, you and I are rusty. We're getting back into the season form here. I I almost gave away. I'll only say that I, you know, we we usually save our predictions for individual games for the website. Um, But I will say that I I feel very good about going into this game. um, Better than I have about most JMU games uh, in the FBS, like sort of FBS type games in the past. So we'll see what happens this week. Um, But I'm definitely excited about that. My second down was kind of, I wanted to go through like the two deep roster from JMU came out in the media guide um, yesterday or day before, I guess yesterday. And I want to go through a couple notes and surprises. I mean, I think one surprise to me, probably the biggest surprise was the tight end position where Dylan Stapleton and drew painter were the two names on the two deep, which means that Clayton Cheatham and Nick Carlton were not up there. So I don't, have I, I'm sure Medea's podcast will fill us in a little bit more on um, status for certain players and stuff like that. But I got the feeling this one was truly a performance-based issue. Just listening to Signetti's comments this week, so I guess I'm just mm-hmm. really excited. I mean, he said Dylan Stapleton had been one of the most consistent players in camp in fall camp, and that Drew Painter had done a great job um, with the position. So, you know, I'm not down on anybody or up on anybody. I just thought that was a surprise to not see. Uh, two pretty recognizable names up there, and to see two other guys there uh, that weren't around in that position group at the start of last year. So and uh, two big guys,
1: they're both, they're both like six four, two forty. You know, like big yeah. guys. That so. that makes me excited for the red zone, particularly with the other Stapleton being out. I think mm-hmm. Dylan Stapleton could be a real, real weapon. Going back to like a Brian Barlow type um, for for like old <laughs> JMU fans, just kind of a big body in the end zone. Um, Ideally, yeah. they're going to do a little more than just throw fades to Riley this year, um, but that, that's that encouraging. You. about the
0: Barlow mention. <laughs>
1: well, he was a good, he was a good football player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that jumped out at me as well. That kind of surprised me. I, maybe it's the cheat of name, or but um, I'm happy for it because I don't think it's a case of those guys not playing well. Like you said, I think it's just a case of they've got a wealth of, of talent at that position. I'm curious to see if those if anybody gets moved. If there's situations where maybe like they deploy a flanker later in the year, or if they do a yeah. two tight end set, um, or if there's certain guys who maybe certain guys are better in a in a blocking situation, so I'm sure all four will see the field. But yeah, I was pretty mm-hmm. surprised by by the way it shook out on the two D.
0: Yeah, or if someone almost ends up in almost a fullback or an H back look. At
1: yeah, where, you yeah, know, that's one where like yeah. a flank, like an old you know. Chris Cooley yeah. was deployed that way at times. So yeah, you know, you put him exactly. in the backfield, you can yeah, be a lead blocker, yeah, yeah. and also, you know, line up and catch passes. Yeah. No, that's a yeah, good that one. I think that's something. Yep. The other yep. one that and jumped out I... at me on the 2D was mm-hmm. Jalen Green. You know, the, the being freshman on being yeah. on there, you know, backing up Rindell Carter. That is something I'm really excited about. It gets back to the first point I made about the defensive line. Like, I'm not going to freak out if Jalen Green gets in there and misses some plays. I will be more excited that he gets in there and gets some reps at this stage of his career.
0: Yeah, and there's another.
1: Go on, I'm
0: sorry. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, Signetti has was clear uh, in the last couple of weeks that the two freshmen that are not going to redshirt, um, just kind of point mm-hmm. blank, they're expected to play this year. Are Jalen Green on the de- at the defensive end position and Austin Douglas um, at running back. So we will see. Whether that holds true, I mean, Austin Douglas is in a, you know, he's listed fourth on the running back chart, uh, so we'll see where that pans out and, you know, that kind of stuff. But those two guys, <coughs> really exciting. <coughs> Excuse me to get to see them. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, yeah, I think that's for sure. The other things on the two deep, Rob. This maybe this turns into third down too. I thought linebacker was one of the more.
1: Mm,
0: I guess if I have a concern going into this particular game, it was linebacker. Uh, we didn't see Mateo Jackson on the two deep. I'm sure we'll hear some more about what's going on there in terms of whether there's an injury or something like that. And Dimitri Holloway is listed as a starter, but we know has been a little banged up here at the end of the camp. So just in terms of like how that's going to shake out, I really hope we see a healthy Dimitri Holloway and Landon Word leading the line at the linebacker position. So that was kind of the big thing for me. Um, I thought it was interesting. We, we found out that Wesley McCormick appears to have won the other corner position opposite Rashad Robinson, because then it's Charles Tut or Willie Drew listed as the number two there. So good yeah. job, uh, Mr. McCormick, and excited to see him. Uh, left tackle, same thing. That was the one position I thought Signetti he, he was being a little cagey. He had not sort of named a starter, whether it's going to be Ray Gillespie or sayer Bethea but he clearly felt like both of them are ready. I think he said there are six guys that they feel they could really go to battle with, and there are nine that are ready to play on the offensive line. So that's pretty great news moving forward. Um, And then the last thing, Rob, I don't know if you noticed, I made a comment wondering who Alex Miller was. So on the two- Yeah, Alex Alex Miller
1: responded to us.
0: Yeah, Alex Miller actually retweeted. Who is Alex yeah. Miller? Um, yeah. He is the new holder, uh, taking over from longtime holder and backup quarterback and slash tight end Hunter Etheridge uh, at that position. And it turns out that Alex Miller is a backup wide receiver and a former quarterback at Robinson High School. So back in the Rams, yeah. um, so and good hands. Guys. You got very good hands. Yeah, and uh, good hands.
1: Have you got is I, that a? How's, Jordan Stanton, you play for Robinson?
0: Yeah, he did. And and actually I was yeah. um Matt Goff, right? The uh yeah. hunter. So we've had a, you know, quite a history of a sort of Robinsons the specialist over the years. So <laughs> we'll be uh we'll be looking for Alex Miller might be our new our new favorite this year. He'll be out there with, you know, some of our favorite players, Ratke and O'Kelly. So hopefully that group hey, can have that, a good time this year.
1: <laughs> that's one of those positions where you never notice it until something goes wrong, but um it, it's important. Oh. You know, that's a good thing. What's that against Albany and Everett Withers here where they messed up? Was it Hunter Etheridge where they, they muffed the snap and were able to get it out? They did it on third down. They had a kick yeah, to win it. it was, oh, you're
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, no, and I it's, think it, it was definitely it, an important position.
1: It's an important position. You need somebody who's smart back there and who's used to having the ball in their hands. So I was very excited when Robinson football responded to us and, informed us that, oh, no, he's a former quarterback and now receiver. And the guy sounds like an athlete, and he's, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players.
0: <laughs> That's right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, Rob, yeah, we love the I specials there.
0: Yeah, but did you have another one Another one you want to touch on here?
1: Yeah, well, just in terms of things that I, I don't want to break down like keys of the game at this stage, and we'll do that later this week and, and fake our way through it then. But um, the big thing, and this is not just about how last season ended, it's really just right. the general premise and the general theories. It comes down to ball security, I think. Um, these games, Huge. we also, what happened Huge. last year, Huge. JMU, Huge. you know, just kind of fell apart, couldn't couldn't hold on to the ball in two games, really got away from New Hampshire and Colgate. And there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, against an FBS team, it's even more critical. I mean, you absolutely just need to hold on to the ball. You can't give them short fields has uh, said he wants to play with faster pace, but I still think it's like you you mentioned last week, getting to the line and and getting up and setting up, not giving people a chance to switch personnel, but not necessarily snapping every eight seconds. It, it's still going to be a situation based on what we've seen for Elon, where they're going to need long, sustained drives, and they're going to try to you know keep it close and, and win, a, just like they did against Jamu last year for Elon. Yep. Um You just you need to. Maybe create a few turnovers. If you go back to the Virginia Tech game that Jamie won, which was you know the standard by which all FBS JMU games is set, I mean, Jamie really had no business winning that game. If you look at the statistics, it was both teams were rather pedestrian offensively, but Jamie won the turnover battle three three nothing. I mean that's it. Uh-huh. Um, it absolutely decided the game. To win an FBS game like this, you can't let them. Take advantage of like mistakes and, and get out into an early lead, and you really need to, you know, create a short field or, or make a play, you know, a Jimmy Moreland type play from last year, and just almost like steal a touchdown. Um, it, it's otherwise you're really just you're playing, you're playing with your backs against the wall and everything. The, the scholarships make a difference. The depth makes a difference. So if you give them extra possessions, it's mm-hmm. it's just putting yourself at a tremendous disadvantage. So um, obviously well, that's did, important yeah. in this game, but. But coming out of the Colgate game, they got to just just get that taste out of their mouth um, and <laughs> yeah. get you know a good, clean game, go forward and, and yeah. start 2019 with a bang.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And that stealing a touchdown idea, I mean, I, I think, you know, at the time it didn't matter. And I don't think it mattered at all to the course of the, you know, the larger course of the season last year. But if, if you remember um, Coach Houston, Jamie was extremely conservative down the stretch in the NC State game last year. Yep. Um, you know, had the ball, I mean, got inside the NC State red zone a couple of times. And if I remember correctly, made a turnover on one, uh, you know, kind of a critical turnover and then settled for a field goal at a time when maybe, maybe it was time to, you know, to try to steal that touchdown um, when you're in this kind of a game. And I'm a little bit kind of hopeful that both of those things with Coach Signetti are, you know, coming right out of the chute in his first game or not. I don't think, you know, I think Jamie's philosophy may be conservative in the sense of wanting to run the ball this year, but I don't know that their sort of play calling in big games is going to be conservative. Um,
1: Yeah, I don't think, I'm not even sure conservative is the right word because conservative implies like scared to make mistakes. I thought Houston was very conservative last year. Yeah, Yeah. determined, like they're they're run first, but like Houston was overly
0: conservative last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Houston was, I don't want to say scared, but. He was reluctant to go for it. He he was much more willing to take, you know, three points and let his defense do the job. I think Signetti, even though he wants to run the ball and, and win on the ground, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be reluctant to go for it on fourth or to try to punch it That's in right. in the red zone versus settle for a touchdown. So it, it's it's kind of an old school mentality because we expect we associate like being we associate like aggressive offense with passing now. And that seems to be true, but you can have a very, Uh very aggressive um, step on your throat type of run game if you're just willing Mm -hmm. to go for it and not settle, you know, fourth and one. If it's just like roll the guys out there and run it down their throats, I'd rather have that than somebody who's going to fling around 40 times a game, but, you know, punt every time it's fourth and three on the 40.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. And then uh, for fourth down, I'll start to get in a little bit here to West Virginia. Rob? uh we'll we'll kind of let matt you know worry about this uh, in the interview you guys are going to hear in a little while uh but I, just remember this is a big time program it's a big twelve program um with a whole lot of history. It's gonna be an awful lot of fun for Dukes making the trip this week. should be a lot of fun for Duke's getting to watch the game wherever you are. Uh, this is a cool one for for j m u to get to actually go up there to a place like this where it and they're really excited about having a new coach and a new regime and stuff like that, and they don't know what to expect either, um, but just remember, these are big-time players. I think both running backs, Kennedy McCoy, Martel Petaway, they're legit, and Jamie needs to keep them bottled up. A uh, couple receivers, not a ton of experience, necessarily, but Sam Ryan, uh, Sean Ryan and Sam James, um, 6'3", 6'4", respectively. You know, it'll be fun to watch Rashad challenge those guys this week, and then, the best players on, you know, two of the best players on West Virginia's team are on the offensive line. Uh, the center Josh Sills, the left tackle Colton Mcivitz is probably actually the best player on the on the team there. So, you know, great challenge for John Docket there, probably uh, trying to go against a, you know, that could be NFL versus NFL. If anybody wants to put something on film, this is a great week to do it. And then on the defensive side of the ball for them, you know, secondary is a weak. I don't know about a weakness, but it's certainly an area of inexperience. It's an unknown.
1: It's an unknown. Yeah, it's
0: an unknown for them. Um, but given what JMU wants to do, it'll be kind of a chess match, I think. to See how that shakes out. And the nose tackle for this team, or or at least the defensive tackle Darius Stills, is a beast. I mean, he he's just a monster. And if JMU wants to run the ball, they're going to have to find a place to put him or run it elsewhere. So, you know, those kind of things like. Let's not, you know. I know they're breaking in a whole bunch of new players, and they're breaking in a new coaching staff as well. And I, like I said before, I mean, I personally feel pretty good about JMU's chances. They're, I think, rightfully, you know, within, you know, about a touchdown underdog here. And Rob, you were saying it's not. I I feel like we've come a long way. Like you said, the Virginia Tech win, everything kind of went right, right. JMU busted out a new offense, and there were a couple turnovers, and there were some short weeks, and a Lot yeah. of things kind of broke their way. Um, we don't want to say but it was I think flukey, the last but few years it like a dominating performance, I mean, right? But 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 the last few years we've seen a progression, right? I think the Chapel Hill game we saw JMU. You know that was that Withers or Houston's might have been first season of Houston. We saw, you know, JMU hang in there, throw some punches for a little bit, and and kind of fade in the second. Well, we saw an player. offense then,
1: that was ready to play. We we saw an offense that. I came yeah. out of that game going, man, this JMU team can run the ball. And I know yeah. North Carolina, it concerns about their run D. But it did not look like an FCS offense going up against an ACC defense. And despite, you know, that that wasn't like the 85 Bears or anything, but it, still, it was every bit of an even matchup. And then there were a little bit of letdowns offensively, but then they rallied and played really tough. Like, that was a great game. Um, really looked to be kind of on the level. And I think the same thing last year with NC State. You know, save for the kind of depth concerns that we had in a couple of turnover, maybe questionable decision yep. from a fan's perspective. JMU was absolutely mm-hmm. in that game. Um, well, and that's kind of what I was going to say,
0: in these last two years, we saw them pummel ECU and rightfully, by by all accounts, JMU was the better team and they just handled their business uh, mm-hmm. against a, a bad team, you know. And yep. then last year we saw them go toe-to-toe. And, and I think that game was probably about, I mean, the outcome, JMU, you know, losing by 10 or so was about, you know, probably about fair. Um, but it wasn't a losing by 10 it, where they, like, kind of backdoored their way into that, you know. They no, it wasn't a to 16 of versus a
1: 1 or you, you hit a couple three-pointers. No, three-pointer it wasn't at all. bank no, that was a right. – no, It that was, that was a legitimate game, you know. It was like they just – they got the better of us, but they were about a to touchdown, touchdown that better. Big deal, favorite. you know.
0: And I think this year, to me, it feels like these teams are pretty – pretty even they're probably within a touchdown of each other and like to see you know for me I'd love to see JMU not uh, kind of avoid the critical mistake and just be there when the fourth quarter starts this year and and then see what happens so Rob on that with that note um, we wanted to kind of get the one other thing we wanted to do tonight before we throw it over to Matt and and do a quick OT was Rob um, what is our you know, like, what's the one thing from the season that you're probably, you think is most important? And what is your feeling about the how the season's going to go in terms of uh, prediction?
1: Oh, man, like, I don't know at this age. And I probably won't know any better on, on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Newt is critical. And you yeah, and I have okay. kind of been cast as these new apologists and everything. I don't think he needs to be great for Jamie and win the I think he needs to be solid. He's going to be making plays, and he needs to maybe limit the mistakes. Um, ironically enough, I think for Jamie to win on Saturday, he needs to be great. Uh, I, yeah. I think, like, if he can elevate his game on Saturday and really make some plays, similar to kind of how he did at NC State, but maybe eliminate the fumble or something like that, Jamie will be in chance. mm-hmm. have chances to win. But overall, mm-hmm. I think we just need, like, steady play from him. So I, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does well. I'm most excited, and maybe most kind of just wide open, like wide eyed. I don't know what to expect at all to see how this running game moves forward under Sweeney. I, I think Percy is going to have like a huge yeah. year, but it could end up being Juwan. It could end up being somebody else. Like I think we're going to have more of an of an A back sort of situation. Like we're going to have a an RB one or whatever you want to call it. It's not committee's running back yeah. on committee. But there's mm-hmm. enough talent where I don't know who that's going to be. And to me, that's really fun. Um, Kind of just for my own personal reasons, I'm hoping it's Percy, just because I've loved seeing him play the past couple of years. And I think he really deserves a shot. But it could just as easily be somebody else. So I think whoever gets to be the primary ball carrier, we're, we're going to see like a 1,200-yard back. And that's going to help mm-hmm. Newt. That's going to help the receivers. That's going to help the defense even, you know, just getting off mm-hmm. the field. So. That's probably what I'm most excited about, just kind of the traditional um, one running back dominant approach that, that I like. I mean, we'd all love to have, like, a Patrick Mahomes or this flinging around super fun offense. But I think you're better suited for a playoff run if you have, like, a yeah. Khalid Abdul type situation. Um, and then you just have a quarterback who can make plays, uh, like a Brian Short. I mean, going back, that's the blueprint. Good defense, yep. awesome running game. Quarterback who makes plays when you need him to. On paper, mm-hmm. JMU has all that. It's just a matter of whether it comes together, whether things gel under and these other coaches. I, I want to be optimistic, but last year as a fan, I kind of felt like that was a season that got away from me because after going to Frisco two straight years, I couldn't enjoy it. I, I couldn't just enjoy the week in, week out, like, wow, we got a Saturday. It's game day. Let's go watch the Dukes. Let's have some fun. I was constant, like, literally on a play by play basis. I always be like, I don't know if this team can win a championship. I don't want to do that this year. But on yeah, paper, yeah, I, feel like, I feel like they can make I feel like they can make a run. But i am determined just to try to enjoy it and see where things go and and realize that from the, the two championship experiences we've had in the past as fans, at the beginning of the season, nobody was thinking championship. And we just enjoyed it week and we were like, Oh, week one, what's gonna happen? Particularly in two thousand four. I mean, nobody found mm-hmm. a national yeah. championship back then. Nope. And even 2016, people had a lot of questions about Ryan Shore and who is this Houston guy and what's going to happen. I think it's better to just kind of, from the coach's cliche handbook, you know, take it game by game. Um, that makes a lot of sense from a program perspective, and it makes a lot more sense from a fan perspective. Because mm-hmm. last year, I got to tell you, like, looking back, I didn't really enjoy that season. I don't have a lot of memories because I felt like I was just – looking past every game and preparing for Frisco. And it seems ridiculous now because that wasn't a team that was one or two plays away. That was a good team, but it was not a championship team. It was not really a championship contending team. And Mm -hmm. had we had a different approach, I think I might have more fond memories. I might have more memories to begin with, but it just, Mm -hmm. the whole thing um, was kind of a wash. And this year I think it's, it's exciting with a new coach. I think we're all a little less likely to do that. And a little, uh-huh. I don't know, just more excited to take it and get excited about just every game and see where this team goes and see how they grow and progress week to week.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, uh, um, Rob. Do you have a? Do you have a? Well, I won't go there. I'll say my my thing, like you, before we get to predictions is, uh, you know, season predictions is, you know, it'd be easy for me. to – I thought about saying the health of the defensive front seven, um, front six, depending on how you look at it. That I think that's the one spot. I would worry if we had any, you know, significant attrition there. Um, but I think every team at the SDS level deals with some of that. Um, and I think JMU is better prepared than most. So, like you, I, the thing I'm most looking forward to, at least in the first half of the season, I think if JMU's offensive line adjusts to the new scheme and we see some, you know, quick, like these are a lot of guys who have played a lot of football at JMU. And if they start to gel and look like they can move, you know, we got a new defensive coordinator, Corey Heatherman. I think the defense will come together. You know, that first year of Houston in 2016, like you were saying, we didn't think the defense was championship caliber till late in the season.
1: We actually, we actually thought they were really
0: bad. Right. And so for me this year, like, I, I'm not too worried about, like, how does the defense look against West Virginia this weekend. I also think if the defense stays healthy, there's enough NFL caliber talent that they're going to be okay. Like, even if they take some, some adjustment on the scheme. Uh, but mm-hmm. the offensive line, given how much football they have played and what Signetti wants to do, I think we'll know pretty soon. I think we'll know four or five weeks in uh, where this team is headed with the O line, because uh, I don't think they can shuffle it around and like find a magic bullet later in the season. You know that was kind of what happened to them a little bit last year, and even a little bit the year before that when they lost to NDSU in the championship. So for me, that's kind of the the one thing I'll look at. Rob, I, I got them. Uh, I got an eleven and one regular season. I it was hard for me to to pick 12 and 0. Um but it was equally hard for me to pick 10 and 2. I, I don't know if that loss is this weekend or it's later in the season and I feel like this is probably the same thing I said last year and the year before. But it'd be I think I'd be disappointed um a little bit disappointed. I mean 10 and 2 10 and 2 getting the playoffs, you know, winning the conference if if one of those losses is to West Virginia would feel a lot better than 10 and 2 where they beat West Virginia. So I, I guess that's one weird way to look at it. But, you know, what no matter what happens this weekend, I, I could see this team. I, I just really try to look through the schedule and think about where they're going to lose. And I, I like this team a lot. Yeah, I do too. i really like high on them for the regular season.
1: I am too. And like, initially yeah. I look at it and I don't see any team in the CAA that I would be scared of. I'm not, like, Towson's the one everybody's talking about. Mm. that's one that everybody knows about. They're going to be prepared. Um, we saw what they did to Allison last year. But so I'm worried about... It's gonna take... <laughs> yeah, Flacco's going to take... Yeah, they'll
0: be fine.
1: I, I actually think that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm less concerned about. I'm more concerned about, like, a William & Mary. What if this... Whole yeah, game, let like, yeah. yeah, a letdown game. Not even a letdown game. Like, who's this year's main?
0: Yeah, like, Stonyers. who's
1: going to be the team? Right. Yeah, that, that everybody was like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll win four or five games, and then, boom, they're going to go out and and contend for the conference title. Particularly what's going on with William and Mary where they got two guys I've never heard of, um, a grad transfer and a true freshman who're gonna be the starting quarterback. Is that just complete okay. desperation? Or is it like this new go go offense is gonna take the league by storm? I don't know. I'm just using yeah. that as an example because given who we follow on Twitter, the Virginia centric writers, that's the team we yeah. read most about. But who knows? Like what if what if what if Rocco finally gets his stuff together and Delaware's good? Um God, that would be terrible I hope that doesn't happen but so I don't know like I, I always kind of anticipate one team coming out of nowhere and, and being more competitive and until last year like the previous couple years JMU was like the one team in the conference that didn't lose to that other team took care of business so
0: yeah yeah they were.
1: like you I want to go with this like 11-1 and one type thing but part of me says like that's just it's crazy like after last year they shouldn't have lost to Elon shouldn't have lost to New Hampshire but stuff happens. Is it going to be more of that, or are we going to get back to that? Like, no, Jamie just wins the games they're supposed to win, which, if we're being honest, is every single game in the CAA. You know, like they shouldn't lose to an FCS team uh, until they get to the playoffs. I don't know. I'm still more like the 10-2 and route. I think most teams, other than absolutely extraordinary teams, are going to slip up at least once. I mean, Mm -hmm. even NDSU in this great run, what if they had, like, two undefeated seasons? The rest of them, they've, they've yeah. slipped up at one point. So mm-hmm. given the whole the, the number of unknowns and just the fact that it is an FBS game, I'm not sure if they'll win this weekend. I don't think it really makes a difference this season. But if mm-hmm. we say that one's 50-50, I'm not sure they're going to run the table beyond that. So I will go 10-2, which is still a ridiculously homer prediction. And I'm sure, but yet there'll be people blasting both of us for not saying undefeated, undefeated, undefeated.
0: So if they go 10 and 2, do they get a seed?
1: Um, I would think so. Because in my weird okay. little way of doing it, mm-hmm. they would drop a game to a team they shouldn't lose to rather than like the the other team they're contending against. Like even Villanova. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about Villanova after beating Colgate over the Yeah, weekend? that's
0: a team I get concerned about for sure. I, I think having them at JMU helped. A little bit this year, um, but yeah, that's a, that's one of those teams that I when you said William and Mary, I thought Villanova in terms of being able to jump up and be a little bit better than what they have been or what they're expected to be. Yeah, I still I, don't think they're good, and I,
1: I don't I don't think Villanova's Colgate's terrible, and JMU should have beaten them last year. <laughs> okay,
0: good. Yes, and uh, yeah, I mean, and and I think ten and two. This is a weird year. There, it's a twelve game season instead of an eleven game season for most teams. And it'll be interesting to see with the unbalanced schedule, how this all shakes out. Uh, there are teams in the CAA that play 11 and teams that play 12. So that will also be weird to think about. And that won't be just the CAA, but in terms of the top eight seeds in the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see how that sh- you know, 10 and 2 sounds yeah. like a darn good record most years in the FCS. So yeah, who knows? Um, I certainly hope we have a lot of home football in December. And that we don't play Thanksgiving weekend, but we will a lot of time between now and then. And looking forward to Morgantown this weekend the most. Uh, Rob, really quick off topic tonight, is there a beer that you had in the off season that you really liked?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this because you and I texted about this before. Um, I'll keep it like to a Virginia one Hardywood Dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Have you had this? It's sixteen okay. ounce cans. I I was getting very kind of fatigued by the whole haze and New England IPA thing. But I picked this one up, and I ended up really enjoying it. It was much more balanced, a lot more drinkable than a lot of them. Um, I don't remember what the ABV was, but it wasn't like some of these Aslan beers, like 12 or 13% that, like, knock you out. Um, I don't know. That's a good one. I I pretty much like everything Hardywood does, so I'm a little bit biased. But Mm -hmm. Hardywood Dreamlike um, kind of restored my faith in the New England IPAs and, and the hazy IPAs. What about you?
0: Good. Yeah, so I'm going to stick in Virginia, too, as much as I enjoyed the uh, Surly today. Um, mine is uh, some friends, right? So I think I've talked about this before, but uh, Woodstock Brewhouse out in Woodstock, very micro brewery, um, only available there. But the, I can't remember the exact name, but it's something to do with crows. It's like Feast of Crows or Mouth of Crows or something, um, but it's their double IPA, and it's really, really solid. And I was thinking about it. It's a such an easy stop. It's a fun place for food too. Um gets in there, does a good job. Uh I, I don't know, I just it's a fun place to go. And I think for JMU fans, especially the ones coming down from Nova this year or from Front Royal or Winchester, uh, Woodstock Brew House is a fun fun place to stop and that um Crows, their whatever their double IPA is called, is a is a really tasty one. It is a bigger it's not it's not ten percent. I mean, it's like 7.8 or something like that. It's still that's good, though. That's a good flex. sweet spot. Yeah, plenty high enough. I
1: have, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, that's, I think Dreamlike is in that same thing. Like, is not 8 to 9. Once you, I mean, and right. that's good. If it's Saturday night after a game, you get home, and it's 10 or 11, Yeah, well, there's a time and a place. But some of these ones yeah, yeah, now, exactly. it, you know, 14%, know. you're like, whoa. I mean, that, that'll sneak up on you. That'll, that'll turn your Saturday afternoon beer into a Saturday afternoon nap. You know? Mm-hmm.
0: So, All right but then yeah, I guess what we're gonna everybody...
1: now we're gonna throw it over to the to the interview and then we're just gonna end it due to technical difficulties. Is that the plan?
0: Yeah, that's a little bit what I was going to say. This is our outro tonight. Uh, we might have some music after this next interview, uh, but generally we will see you guys in Morgantown or we will see you at JMU in the next couple of weeks or we will see you at some point during the year uh, but we will be back with you. It may be Wednesday next week too, Rob. I don't know what your schedule is on Labor Day. Um, but I know it's, it's holiday Monday, so we'll, we will talk to you guys at some point next week. We will break down the West Virginia game and look forward to St. Francis and the home opener in the Berg, and I don't know. just can't wait to see you guys. Um, yeah, us and, up and, on and Twitter, tune in. Us up on Facebook. Find us on the blog. Yeah, we're going to have some and, cool and, stuff. We'll have this show up. Yeah.
1: And then just stick around for up. the interview. Like We got some really good stuff from, from Matt Kershner from Smoking Musket. Yeah. Um, really good info, very respectful, very knowledgeable about the JMU team and extremely knowledgeable about this West Virginia team and West Virginia football history. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it. I think it will get you more excited for Saturday and certainly have everybody more informed um, heading into the game, knowing what to look out for and, and the players to watch for. So hopefully everybody checks it out. And thanks again to Matt for joining us.
0: Yep. And uh, if you're up there Friday night, come see us in Black Lot. <laughs> All right. Bob, yep. i will talk to you next week
1: all right have a good week everyone go duke all right go dukes
0: yep all right have a good week everyone to welcome to the podcast a very special guest tonight um someone we've kind of paid attention to for a while uh matt kirchner from the smoking musket a really good west virginia site over on sb nation uh matt we have to say smoking musket has a uh, you guys have gotten quite the references over the years with from spencer and the everyday should be saturday crew so that's kind of what kind of what turned us on <laughs> to you guys so good work there
2: i appreciate uh, that
0: yeah no no problem so we wanted to have you on i mean this is really rare for us just so you know um you know, when we do these FCS things, we're like the only school that has this level of media, except for North Dakota State and us. So we don't even have these fan sites or anything fun like this, like you guys do. So it's really fun for us every year to have our FBS, uh, find somebody from our FBS opponent. And uh, I guess we should just start with the football. Um, you guys have a new staff coming in like we do. And we're I, I reading between the lines. It looks like people are really excited up there in Morgantown about Coach Brown and Coach Koenig. I don't know if I'm saying the DC name Yeah, right. That's how, that's how yeah. I've pronounced it. I've <laughs> yeah. been
2: between
0: Caning and Cody mm-hmm. time, so <laughs> so yeah, what are, what are what's the sort of general vibe up there in terms of getting a new regime?
2: So on one hand, it is year zero, but <laughs> I think the track record of Neil Brown at Troy speaks for itself. Yeah. It was kind of a natural reset point um, with Dana Holgerson Mm -hmm. at the end of last season. I think a lot of people went into the year if that team with um, Will Greer, David Sills, Gary Jennings, among others, coming back, (laughs) couldn't get it done and at least make it to the Big 12 championship, Mm -hmm. there was a sense... You know, eight years is a long time mm-hmm. 5 yeah. It's a really long time. And yeah. it just got to the point where it was just like, what are we both doing here? Right. It got stale. <laughs> and he got to go to Houston, which is home. We got a reset point. And, yeah, there's excitement around the program going forward, even if this is going to be more of a year zero experience. Okay. Uh,
0: are, well, are even, not...
1: even with that year zero, I'd say, like, it, I think everybody was certainly approaching it that way after the transition. Um, is it just maybe preseason hype ring? But I feel like a lot of the fans we've interacted with are turning the corner now thinking, you know, like, OK, this, this, there's going to be significant progress. This is not going to be a complete step back. They still have something to compete for. Is that just normal August, like every college fan base? Or have you guys seen things already in terms of what he's doing with the culture and the players buying in and, and things like that?
2: What he's done with the culture has been tremendous. The program has been so much more active and engaged, like just in sort of social media, team building, culture building kind of things than you ever really saw under Hogerson. And yeah, that's gotten a lot of people excited. Now, time's going to be, time will tell <laughs> in year one, if it's going to be, if it was just more like, early on window dressing to cover up the fact that it's not going to be a great year Mm -hmm. or if there's real progress being made, a team that can win this year. I think most fans want to see a bowl, Mm -hmm. but also understand that a five and seven, four and eight ish year, as long as you're seeing um, progress, on a game-by-game basis is something that will be okay.
0: <laughs> okay. That's kind of interesting to hear. Um, Matt, I, I have uh, Mannington and 100 Roots myself, and uh, I know that your your fan base is not known for their patience generally. <laughs>
2: yeah, we're going to see. I say most, but it's definitely not all, and it is a vocal fact. <laughs> <laughs> right that will be upset if it doesn't go the way that they want it
0: to be. (laughs) It's hard to see. I mean, we're looking around all the different West Virginia media. I think Rob and I have seen predictions of everywhere from like three and eight to eight and three, you know? So you you can
2: tell tell me this team (laughs) finishes anywhere from three and nine to four, nine and three. Right. And, would buy it it's just it's so hard to tell the roster is just made up of so many unknowns Mm -hmm. actually looking at this team in august is almost impossible because we've never seen especially on offense any of these kids play
0: right yeah that's it's a weird thing for us because i can tell you um jmu traditionally our fbs game we have a real sense of you know, going back three or four years, we played the Mitch Trubisky North Carolina team. We knew we had a good team, but we weren't going to win. Um, we played East Carolina. We knew we were going to crush them, and we did. Then last year, we played a really good, you know, the Ryan Finley, NC State team. And I think we knew we had a chance because we had a really good roster, but we really, you know, they were top 25, like a good team. And I, this is the most clueless I've been going into an FBS game in a long, in a long time for us. <laughs>
2: I yeah. wish I could give you more clarity, but yeah. I really can't. This yeah. is such a unknown. I don't know what it's going to look like schematically. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: All I know is that we have an extremely talented group of running backs. Good. And in an ideal world, they're going to run the hell out of the ball. <laughs> like I've, We talked about it on our season preview podcast that we just put out. Uh, we recorded yesterday and put out today. This is the first time, and it's weird for a program that's on the level of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. There's only been in the last, and being completely honest, twenty or so years. Right, there's only been like two or three times where we've gone into a season through spring and through fall camp where there was an actual quarterback controversy. Oh, competition. Like, this is generally a program that's known who its quarterback's been. I mean, going back to the early 2000s when Rich Rodriguez took over. Yeah,
0: I was going to say yeah, Pat White and, and Eva Smith. and yeah.
2: You know, at the end of Don Nealon, you had Mark Bolger. Mm-hmm. After Mark Bolger, you had a year in 2001 where your Rodriguez was getting his feet set. Mm-hmm. Then you had Rasheed Marshall for three years. Then you mm-hmm. had Pat White for four years you have Jarrett Brown that sat behind Pat White mm-hmm. for a year. He started for a year and he, he was QB one. You went from Jarrett Brown to Geno Smith. <laughs> then you had a bottom out year in 2013, which was the last year we had any sort of quarterback competition. Mm-hmm. And then Clint Trickett. And then we went into Skylar Howard and Will Greer. This is a yeah. program that normally knows who its quarterback is. Mm-hmm. And, Kendall won the job but it was weird It's just a, as a fan base we haven't seen a quarterback competition in a while
1: <laughs> so. but can, can we can we talk about Kendall because that's somebody I know you guys haven't seen much of him but you know he passed two years two years he's backed up Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks um, but everything that I've read said it really was neck and neck with him and Kyler Murray heading in. you know competing for the Oklahoma job last year so he definitely has the talent um, how excited are you guys seeing play? Was this the fan favorite heading to the competition or was it really as completely wide open as you just described?
2: I think for a lot of people, he was the odds-on favorite. His spring practice, his spring look just gave me a little bit of trepidation, but he was fighting off an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, by all accounts, he did go out and won the job going away at least mm-hmm. by the end of fall camp.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The only quarterback that I would really at this point consider neck and neck in terms of fan base was Jared Diggy, who came mm-hmm. in to transfer after spring ball from oh, yeah. Green. Uh, the NCAA, for whatever reason, in a summer where every quarterback got trans- who transferred <laughs> out got his waiver in about a week, Mm -hmm. It took them until literally last week to approve him as eligible. So he got a slow start in terms of reps because they didn't know what was his situation going to be. So he's going to end up redshirting this year. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I think yeah, it was weird. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. just a weird situation for how long it took to get that through, especially – around the time when he transferred in the spring, you saw quarterbacks almost on a weekly basis. He's in the portal. He transfers. His eligibility appeal went through for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Nobody really understood it was <laughs> happening.
1: Didn't but, he guys have the same thing with Sean Ryan from Temple? Yeah. Didn't he get delayed as well? Yeah,
2: and he just – it actually took them a little bit longer. Uh, they're really excited about him. But, yeah, yeah, weird. we – our transfer appeals went to the wire really. And that hurt Daggy's ability to really get a foothold in the competition. So I don't know how much I buy Lincoln Riley's coach speak that Austin Kendall, <laughs> Kendall really was neck and neck with Kyler, Kyler Murray,
1: Murray.
0: Right. But hey, it was great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's yeah. certainly high praise. Just curious if he lives up to it.
0: Yeah. And I guess we're wondering, this is a weird game for us. You said, um, West Virginia is going to want to run the ball. Uh, they, they have some really strong backs. Um, they also have some, you know, by our accounts, or by FCS standards, really sizable wide receivers. Um, I think, I, you know, in our opinion, this game is good, at least on that side of the ball is going to be, Can our defensive line depth. I think our starters, you'll find, are really good players on the defensive line who could probably play anywhere. And last year at NC State, in kind of 100 degree weather, we stood up very well for Two or three quarters. And it, as always with these games, it, the depth tends to wear down a little later. I guess I'm wondering if you see that as a potential advantage for West Virginia. And then the same thing on the other side of the ball. Um, it seems like you guys, the big question mark for you is on the back end of the defense this year. And yet we're not really entirely sure what we have in the passing game for JMU. So I, I think if there's a weak <laughs> point for us, that's a little bit of a concern. I, I don't know if you see it the same way or.
2: Yeah, you
0: know, we. <laughs>
2: The secondary is going to be interesting for West Virginia just because they got hit really hard there with transfer attrition Mm -hmm. after spring. Again, they're young. Mm -hmm. hard to say much of anything. You do have some starts that are coming back in that secondary. Some (laughs) of them not quality, but you do have some. Um, I'm excited to see how... They stack up against Ben DiNucci just because this is a transitive backyard brawl game. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, yeah, you guys <laughs> noticed that. I guess. You guys, the built in hate already for the QB. Yeah, at least. So, yeah.
2: yeah we already have that going. Right. So, yeah, I, it's a tough game for what's really, it is a tough, as tough of a draw as you can get for an FCS game mm-hmm. for a first year head coach because it is a quality program. There's NFL guys on this team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, in my hope, like you guys said, the we have four backs that I'm comfortable carrying the load in any game in a variety of ways. So the main hope is they're able to minimize mistakes and just let depth take over late. I'd be shocked if this wasn't within a possession in the second half. Yeah, okay. Which is here just because it's a team getting its footing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we probably a, feel the same way, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. It's rare
2: that I feel this way about an FCS game, but it's right. rare that you have this caliber of FCS program coming in when you have this many young, unproven guys right. that are really hitting their first live game action. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of uh, first-year regimes, I know Rob's got one other question, but I want to ask, um, you know, is it are the old heads up there, you know, kind of making anything about Kurt Signetti Kurt coming back as the new JMU head coach? You know, There's a little. There yeah.
2: is a little bit. Um, no. From a... the link, Frank Cignetti's years were not the best. <laughs> like, yeah. No. But lately... Yeah. I don't know how much of that is still stoked, but there are just some, there are interesting storylines like that in this game. Another former West Virginia player that had to leave for medical reasons, Dylan's fault recently. Mm -hmm. So there's just some weird (laughs) storylines that come from this game. It's it's weird because JMU is, it's a regional, it's a close regional program. Yeah, we don't really have much of that on the schedule at least for the next couple of years oh, so there are some, yeah there are some connections cool yeah.
0: well I, I mean i know the transitive backyard brawl but I, I have to ask you a fan question um is it is it true that we can just say each hit pit and get out of trouble up there yes <laughs> okay yes. All right. that's Good. all you have to do all right yeah, we, we were told
1: that's the get out of jail free that's
0: yeah <laughs> that's yeah. it sound the alarm yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, actually, um, I, I had one question, just kind of a general nature, and um, I, I thought it was really interesting last year when Greer chose to sit out the ball game. Um, I was just curious how that affects you as a fan. Like, is is the mentality now like Big 12 championship or bust, and are are these ball games still exciting? Knowing that you know you had him and McCaffrey did it and Fournette, it seems to be a trend with the guys sitting out. Does that change the way you as a fan base view these bowl games? <laughs>
2: It can. I had no problem with it. I'm of the mindset, just do whatever is best for you personally. And it's tough because that was there were higher expectations than that bowl game last year. And yeah, it has killed some excitement for us as a fan base. It was also the second time in three years that we were sent down to the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, <laughs> which is a good game. But basically we've been as the token Eastern Big Twelve team. Oh yeah. We sort of get thrown into the Eastern more the more Eastern Bowls, you have the Liberty Bowl, Camping World Bowl in Orlando. I think One of the bigger factors last year was a lot of the fan base was hyped up for a potential um, Holgerson-Leach matchup in the Alamo Bowl that we got passed up for. And, yeah, there was – it just Mm -hmm. got stale. It goes back to what I said right at the top. Mm -hmm. The program under Dana, who I still think is a very good football coach, and I think he's going to win a ton Mm -hmm. in Houston – but it just got stale. Mm-hmm. There was an excitement. And I think without Neil Brown being in charge of this program, without New Blood, this would be a just very down feeling. There'd be a really down feeling around the program going into this season from a fan base, from a donor perspective. Neil Brown has donors eating out of the palm
1: of his hand <laughs>
2: because – He's just folksy as hell, which plays very well yeah. <laughs> uh, in market. Like <laughs> a lot of what he gives you is comparable to Dabo when he first showed up at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a very, very best case scenario, but the mannerisms are very much the same. Mm-hmm. And that plays really well at West Virginia. <laughs> he has you know this same roster for year nine under Dana is a would be a very different field than year one under Neil Brown. Gotcha. So I think the lack of excitement was less players sitting out and more just
1: the program had gotten stale. Oh interesting. Yeah I yeah. mean I, I agree with like from from his perspective I'd absolutely support him. You know, I think he's doing the right thing, and you could even make the argument that if it improves his draft stat status. It ultimately would help West Virginia more than a bowl yeah. win. Anyway, you know,
2: Syracuse in the Camping World Bowl is not as important as a career is Playing able to go. Yeah. A the other thing that I liked is it gave us a chance to see oh, yeah. what we had in at that point. It was Jack Allison, and what we had in Jack Allison didn't seem to be much, which <laughs> led to the transfer market being hit hard. Get. In the off season, you get—that's always what people will talk about. Bowl games, especially mm-hmm. the mid to low tier ones, is it's an extra month of practice, and mm-hmm. really that just extends to the game as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it's—it's we, it, it's a weird correlation. But the FCS, our championship game used to be right before Christmas, and you just played week after week in the playoffs, and then you went to the championship. When JMU won it in 2004, it was like. I don't know, December 19th or 20th or something. And now they move the FCS championship game back to the middle of January. Almost. It's like after all the bowl games. And I am convinced, I think it's helped some of the programs like JMU and North Dakota state that go that have been a lot lately where they get all that extra time for their players practicing for sure. So it's a funny, funny thing. Well, um, Matt, we can't thank you enough for the time. Um, we will be tailgating in an RV up there this week. We will have our, uh, we have our own batch brood and, and some good food. So if you're around, you can uh, hit us up anytime. We're not exactly sure where we'll be, but we're figuring that out as we go. So um, we hope, uh, hope to see you and thank you. We're going to have some stuff on the site as well. And we really appreciate you taking the time and giving us all these answers. So it's really good stuff. Yeah. You know, all right all right (laughs) yeah and good luck to the mountaineers this year yeah so we'll talk to you soon um rob i will talk to you on the other side cool all right thanks
2: and